You just heard The Lines in My Hand from the Heritage Record by Opeth. And this is the best of 2011. Dun, 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 dun. This is Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And this has become a tradition that we've done, I think, since either 2000, I think 2008, we did our first best of, and then we did one in 09, did one in... Uh, so this is number four. This is our fourth annual best of 2000. And this one that's coming from the, the Requiem Mansion. Yes, we are on vacation uh, up at uh, uh, Destination Unknown. Yes. Uh at the Requiem Mansion, which, of course, if you're Facebook friends with us, you've already seen some of the wonderful photos of us preparing for the show by, you know, heavy relaxation, yes. uh, a, a full spa treatment. And, and uh, if you wondered where the girls are, they were taking the photos. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Uh, the hot tub girls. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> no. No one needs to get in trouble here. Um the reason we started with Opeth, obviously, is because I think it would be a, a pretty fair statement in the metal world to say this was the most divisive album of 2011 in yeah. the extreme metal world. You mm-hmm. know, uh, a band like Opeth that carries with it um, a, a pretty established reputation of being one of the four four leaders or the leaders of the sort of new movement, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. You know, progressive metal. I mean, just, metal, just popular extreme metal, really, yeah. when it comes down to it. There's not a whole lot of bands that, especially for when they kind of got their popularity going, they had they were like completely uncompromised. And I yeah. still don't understand exactly what made them popular with people. I mean, if it was more accessible because they did have like softer passages or something. I think but. that's what you know. And when we did our two parter on Opeth, that's I think what was so appealing to like my group of friends is the fact that you could play Opeth for like your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And lure her into extreme metal almost in a way. And yeah. that's just a metaphor, but it was that way with any of your non metal friends. You could be like, hey, dude, check this part out. And they'd be like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then you're like, oh, but just wait. Yeah, here <laughs> yeah. it comes. You know? and, and there was that <laughs> dynamic. And I think it. I, I think what Opeth was is it was uh, a way to, to show that metal was not un you know not unintelligent metal mm-hmm. was a, a very you know thought out musicians um oriented technical kind of field of of music you know and it wasn't well yeah i think opeth brought in the crowd of not the you know the people screaming in the parking lot and taking sure. their shirts off and yeah. i'm sure there's a couple of those but they brought in a different demographic into it not the lamb of god and you know uh, chimera and that kind of fan mm-hmm. you know i don't know if they necessarily got into the opeth thing but it brought in a different yeah, I think a whole different audience. Yeah, the more egghead, you know. They, yeah. they're, I mean, in a way, you know, Opeth is like the rush of uh, you know extreme metal. You know, they have rabid fans who are very critical one way or the other of, mm-hmm. of who they, what they're doing, what they're not doing, and, and yeah. some of that. And just like a band like a Rush, uh, they made a, a pretty you know a, a, a veer turn here with Heritage and. Um, to mix success, I think some people would say. Uh, I mean, even fans, diehard fans of this record, um, you know, like we were talking to Jeff Wagner uh, off mic when we recorded some episodes with him, uh, you know, a while back. You know, and I was like, hey, man, you're, you know, you just wrote this book, Mean Deviation. You're kind of the expert on progressive metal, and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you have a real sense of that. And um, he said he really liked the record a lot. He, he thought there were parts, uh, especially near the end, where it, it dragged a little bit and, you, and it loses a little bit of momentum. Yeah, uh, but he sees it as ultimately a positive step in the in the right direction. Uh, and he said it was difficult to. Oh, it wasn't an immediate it's, record. It's very tough to sort of penetrate Which, this. Record. That's that's yeah. my thing. Was is that I know some people will say, "Well, you don't get it," mm-hmm. and that's absolutely not true. I understand what they're trying to do. I just don't feel it. Yeah, sure. um, uh, and it's not be and it's a it's not an immediate record. But a lot of records like that, I can eventually get into over time. 
this has not it has done it for me. There's for been you. a handful of songs on it, I think. I think it would have been a great EP. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of jumped a little bit too far too soon, which, you know, I'm not going to begrudge them for experimentation, doing what they want to do, but it's just, yeah. uh, ultimately, I'm not going to buy the record. Yeah. It just doesn't really do anything for me. And uh, I I think initially I was in that same sort of ballpark. I, I was trying very hard to find um, anchors to, to sort of root me into this record. And there's a few tunes on here that I, I really do like, and we talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Devil's Orchard's a pretty awesome song. Yeah, it's. I think that really kind of bridges, you know, it's an Opeth riff, but yet played in this more 70s kind of tone, open mm-hmm. style, not distorted. Um, but it still feels like Opeth. Yeah. And same with, I think, the lines in my hand actually yeah. speeds up a little bit. Yeah, and there's some too. great, like, um, Michael vocal melodies that are kind of, you know, mm-hmm. capture into that. But they're they're also doing some cool, like, drumming kind of stuff that's pretty new. Uh, I mean, Axelrod is He's awesome. fantastic. You know, I yeah. mean, we talked about that in the Witchery show. Musician-wise, you know. I think, across the board, everybody's doing great. Yeah, uh, I mean, Per Weiberg, the, the guy who's playing all the, the Hammond organs and stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, he really takes a lead role on this record. Yeah, I mean, he, he started. He started to do that on the the last couple, but but he's it, the keyboards are very up in the front, and pianos mm-hmm. up in the front, and a lot of songs. The piano is actually yeah, done by another dude. Oh, is it? It's not pair. Okay, no, he didn't do the, the opening piano pieces. Oh yeah, guy. it's uh, Joachim Svalberg, which, which I believe is some classical piano or uh, pianist, pianist uh, yes. in, uh, in in Sweden. But then like yeah, like uh, Frederick Axelsson, yeah, the other guitar player, I think is doing some great stuff. But he also. We're, I was. I think we were mentioning this last night. He, I think he's almost the perfect guitar player for the second guitar player for Opeth because he's such a great Follower. technical player. Oh. but he doesn't like to. It doesn't seem like he really wants to stand out. Yeah, like he's totally in, into the program. Yep, and uh, yep. inundated and in <laughs> indoctrinated yeah. or whatever you want. Yeah, to so I think he he seems to add exactly what exactly what Opeth needed. Yeah. So it's a uh, you know it's a record that neither Mark and I. Uh, put on our, our best list I, I had it in my rotation of you know because each mark and i kind of tried to narrow it down about 10 records each but we figured uh what's 2011 without starting off with you know a divisive controversial record you know it's the uh chinese democracy of uh oh, extreme I wouldn't, metal I wouldn't say or, it's that bad. <laughs> or, or, or or death magnetic or i just mean a, yeah. a, a record that brings a lot of debate you sure. know and I, controversy you know, as they yes. say in europe yes there you go so uh where maybe where you fell on the Opeth record, I'm sure uh, as listeners, you you all have very strong opinions one way or the other. I think it made it too far up into a lot of the lists of the year. I think it should have been more in the 30s, and just like mentioned, yeah. like well, this was a good idea. And I don't know if that was their reputation pull or if that was you know I mean like I mean, it's a ballsy move to people, go that far. It, it is ballsy, and if you're if you're trying to sell yourself as a progressive band, I, you know I don't is it progression? I mean it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because yeah, I'm not I'm not bummed out that they didn't use death metal vocals. I yeah. could care less. Like yeah. when Catatonia stopped doing that, at first I was like, what? But then I was like, no, no, that's totally exactly works. what you needed. Yeah, exactly. Same with you know Paradise Lost, and I have no problem with bands progressing, but. This was just, I don't know, it was a little bit too meandering and wandering for my taste. I can say that <clears throat> the difficulty of it, um, lately I've actually started listening to it more on headphones and more songs and moments start to pop out to me. Mm-hmm. But and, and that's great, but it's also, it's this fine line, and it's part of the reason, like, uh, some of the 70s progressive stuff, like... I tap out on. I mean, I'm, I'm a bigger Prague fan uh, than I think you are, mm-hmm. obviously. But I have my limits, too, where if it's to the point where I have to, like, like almost do 
you know, like hardcore Buddhist meditation to find the moments yeah. of us of an album. We don't have time. Th- for there's, like that yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a fine line and I'm all for like the discovery of like mm-hmm. really hearing a record after hearing it maybe five or six <clears throat> times and going, Oh, I never really heard it in this context. Yeah. And there's those moments on this record, but I don't know. It's debatable whether salty. you should you should have to fight so hard to, to really find anchors on something. Because after all, it's just an Opeth record. Yeah. <laughs> yep. After all, it is just. It's an not going to change your life. No. <clears throat> hey, there's people crying right now, Mark. I'm sure. You probably well, the next, their the next record will change your life. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, there were a group of bands that are well established or have been well established, or at least artists uh, yeah. that that I think made uh, what you would call. I don't know if comebacks the right word well, or just cases, reappearances yeah, uh, that were exciting. Let's autopsy, it uh, yeah, it was definitely autopsy. Came out with um, Macabre Eternal last boy. That was like in the spring. Yeah, I think it was spring. Yeah. And uh, they hadn't put out a record since Shit, think, Fun. Shit Fun, which was probably like sixteen years. Ninety four, I think. I think Shit Fun's either ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, it yeah. was a long. And Shit Fun has already started to kind of go off into the abscess. Yeah, it's not sound. It wasn't. It didn't sound as much like an autopsy record as like classic autopsy did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I got this, I was just unbelievably stoked. Yeah, it's a long record, but it basically it's. It's one of those weird things in the last couple of years how bands have been able to, a lot of these bands have been able to come back and capture, like Paradise Lost has done it, Dismember has done it, um, Seance. Seance, uh, Unanimated. Yeah, uh, just, I know. mean, these bands that have had nearly, I mean, a lot of bands aren't even around as long as these gaps have been. Yeah. And they've come back and managed to, like, you know, stoke the fires of what really made them great to begin with, so. Yeah, and they had the EP that they put out last year. Um, Tomb Within. Tomb Within, yeah. you know, and so that was kind of like a hint that, hey, we're, you know, we're recording again, we're writing songs, and of course they've played live. We saw them at, you know, Maryland Death House a couple years fantastic. ago. fantastic. Which was just incredible, and, uh, yeah, it was nice to hear a record like this, this you know, I mean, uh, I'm, the song we're going to play in a, in a few minutes, uh, Dirty Gore Whore, uh, classic autopsy yeah. title, um, I mean, just has this almost sick bolt thrower-esque kind of Simple like repetitive breakdown, breakdown that yeah. just totally works for these guys, yeah. you know. And then, you know, I think a ballsy move from these guys is the song like Sadistic Gratification, which is like 11 and a half minutes long. You know, it's... They had some longer tunes, but this might be their longest, I think. And it's a great song. I mean, yeah. we'd love to play something like that, but we don't have, you know, well, we have 11 minutes for Autopsy. We do have 11 minutes for something down the road, but that's because that's the only length of their songs. But uh, yeah, but I think this is a great representation of a band that, that has sort of found that fire again. You know? Oh, totally. And just be able to... Autopsy is one of those few, especially earlier bands that managed to get uh well you know they're incredibly influential on a lot of swedish death metal stuff mm-hmm. but being able to bring in the death metal the doom elements the like punk rock breakdowns the sludgy you they, know, they stuff, still yeah. incorporate that stuff so great after you know these dudes are probably in their 40s or, or older and still can like capture that energy and and speaking vibe, of autopsy and the christmas holiday spirit if you will um if anybody out there in listening land knows of a place where Mark and I could uh, accumulate a Thursday Maryland Death Fest ticket to oh, see yes. Autopsy in Agalock. <laughs> we waited a little too long and didn't realize that these things were going to sell out. I didn't even know Agalock was playing. I didn't even know Autopsy was playing that Thursday show. Yeah. I know that the three-day passes are still available, and we'll, we'll certainly pick oh, those yeah, up. Yeah, we're well, totally willing to pay for it. Yeah, we're not looking for well. charity if here. If you we want just, to give it to us, we'll you, gladly take if it. If you but. know of anybody f- through the network of metal uh, that, that would have one of those or a couple of those tickets available, we're, we're definitely interested in looking uh wait, we're yeah she's an email at uh, requiempodcast at gmail.com sure. that would be awesome yeah. and so you know as we're about to approach autopsy uh, it reminded me of that uh that 
that failure on our parts. You gotta crowdsource, man, if yeah, you need to. Gotta. But um, a couple other things that, that sort of made, I, I think, comebacks. Um, and I wasn't surprised. I was actually kind of looking forward to this record, uh, which is uh, Surreal Overdose uh, from Deceased. Um, King Fowley and company. And company. Because we saw them, speaking at Maryland Death Fest, we saw them a couple years back at Maryland Death Fest, and there was just something like, wow. I mean, it was, it was almost like where you walk into a room and you don't know what's going on. People are like, like why, why is everybody so excited? And yeah. then, uh, if, if for those who don't know, uh, King Fowley used to be the uh, drummer as well. Yep. So he was always kind of behind the kit. And seeing him up on stage, this kind of, you know, overweight guy that's in his 40s, kind of balding. But what a fucking awesome front man. Just a great. And just pure energy, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's like, so he's like awesome. Barney or something. Like, he just yeah. emits charisma and energy yeah. and all these things. And the music just seemed more vital and it has more dynamic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like full of, you know, new wave of British heavy metal sort of things flying at it. Thrash, I mean, yeah. You know, just classic sort of stuff. And so I was really anticipating this record, uh, Surreal Overdose, and I, I grabbed it this summer. Um, and I listened to the shit out of it. And, you know, Mark heard it a couple times here and there in my car. But, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thing, every time you put it on, like, you're like, oh, I should be listening to this way more. Like, yeah. I, you almost forget about it because it's deceased. And I think a lot of people just take them for granted because, I mean, they've been around since, like, 89 or something and putting out shit tons of demos, EPs, but only about five full-length records. Sure. And, and, just and hit or miss, like that record that they put out in 2004, I didn't even hear it, but the reputation of it was that it was eh, kind of lackluster compared yeah. to the previous two, like Fearless Undead Machines and uh, Supernatural Addiction. Was that Supernatural what? Addiction, okay. yeah. Every time I say Supernatural Addiction, I think of Cathedral. Supernatural Birth Machine. Exactly. Yeah, so like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think they're one of those bands a lot of people are just like, oh, it's deceased. Yeah. Like, yeah, they'll be around forever. But and this so, is definitely worth checking yeah, out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. So we got Skin Crawling uh, Progress coming up from them. And then I think a. A third band, and I wouldn't say that they're, uh, it's necessarily a comeback per per band because it's a brand new band. And yeah. It's Valonfire, but I think it's a comeback in a way for a certain style of songwriting, maybe. Uh, and so, well, and for you know Gregor McIntosh, who's basically the the main guy, wrote all the music and everything. This was kind of his uh, his father passed away last year, and apparently his dad was a real proponent of him getting into you know like or rediscovering his. Yeah, like he'd take him to see like John Peel shows. Oh, oh and, you're saying back when he was a kid? Yeah, when he was a kid, like got actually encouraged his his love of extreme metal. And this kind of after his, his dad passed away, he wanted to have like a not necessarily a fitting effigy, but something to help him get through the process. Mm-hmm. Which this is a pretty productive way to do it. Is sure. come up with a fantastic uh, Swedish-ish death metal. I mean, they've got the HM2 pedals for sure. Mm-hmm. But just uh, and there's lots of Paradise Lost isms in the leads. And if for those of you that are unaware, Gregor McIntosh, oh, uh, Paradise Lost, yeah, yeah of and, Paradise and, Lost, uh, and also in in the band Hamish, um, Hamish from uh, My Dang Bride, they've got Scoots who's playing in Doom now. Uh, one of his he Scoots on drums, right? He's on bass. Bass, okay. Uh, Adrian Erlinson's on. Oh yeah, Erlinson right? uh, yeah. on drums, and then we've got one of uh, McIntosh's like childhood friends on rhythm guitar. Who'd never been in a band before, but was really like passionate about the project. Is this the first time you've heard Gregor do vocals? Was it's the first record? time anybody's heard Gregor do vocals. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember if he ever did anything on the early Paradise Lost stuff along with Nick Holmes. Like, no, he's never credited stuff. for it. Huh. Um, I kind of doubt it, but it's it's nice to hear, especially somebody who I mean from that group. Because really, the guys in Paradise Lost have not been any side projects. Yeah, that's been their main thing for forever. And we haven't heard a death metal vocal since Shades of God. Yeah. And to hear just coming out of that camp some good death metal vocals is pretty yeah. pretty awesome. And so I, I would put it alongside like almost like you know the return of like this old it's the same kind hero. Of like, yeah, know? the same kind of energy that you're getting out of the autopsy, you're getting out of Valonfire through mm-hmm. the, through the same people from the same era. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, some good stuff. So we've got autopsy. 
uh, Dirty Gore Whore from Macabre Eternal on the way. Skin Crawling Progress from Surreal Overdose from Deceased. And then Valen Fires Cathedral Dread from A Fragile King. And then we'll end with uh, uh, an obscure tune and, and talk about that when we come back.
get out, get out, and never, never come back.
That was Obscura with Celestial Spheres off uh, the record Omnivium. Uh, we had Valonfire, Cathedral of Dread, Deceased Skin Crawling Progress, and Dirty Gore Whore from Autopsy. Uh, interesting to go from Dirty Gore Whore to uh, Celestial Spheres, but uh, that's that's how we do it on uh, the, the, the podcast here. Well, we're very well-rounded people. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, but I think those uh, those bands have similar things in common. I mean, they're both uh, coming out of the, I well, guess, the influence of the American death metal scene on some level. Yeah, I mean, Obscura is pretty much flying the flag for, for Cynic and Old Death. And Old Death, so. yeah. Uh, you know, and Old Pestilence as well, and sure. some of that kind of stuff. But technical death metal, you know, is mm-hmm. really where we're sort of at. Yep, certainly the Canadian stuff, the, you know, uh, Q Vadis and... Um, some of the other bands we mentioned when we did that technical Canadian death metal show mm-hmm. uh, many, many moons ago. That was a while ago. Um, and this record, uh, I remember when it came out, you you were doing a lead illustration for Decibel mm-hmm. uh, for it, and, and you were really into it. And uh, I listened on the shit out of it, and I kind of forgot it came out this year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it, uh, it it's, I mean, uh, we, we kind of, we were really into Obscura when their last uh, record came out, which just escapes me all of a sudden. Cosmic... Uh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I can't remember. And we did we did an obscure show like uh, mixed with was it mixed with tombs? I think so because the um, I know it was half and half. We did a, a, a split show. No, it was a, it was a obscure and like a blaze my sorrow. A blaze my sorrow, maybe okay. Yeah. But actually, the first tombs, the winter hours came out the same time as that last yeah. obscure. I yeah. got both those actually back when uh, promos you could get CDs of. Oh my gosh! Yeah, imagine cool. those days. People work at record <laughs> labels who would love to make our our, our days better. Um, yeah, but this this obscure record sort of came out. I mean, the layout to it's fantastic. Uh, you know. I mean, they've always done some really neat things with their layouts. When they did that remaster of their very first thing that Relapse yeah. put out, yeah. um, you know, that was they had a nice die cut kind of weird. Oh, yeah, cover this is all Ryan Landau. That he's done some fantastic work. He's got a bunch of spot gloss and stuff on it as well. It's uh, it's really nicely done. But it, it sort of ups the ante for them. I mean, it's bringing uh, it's bringing more of the death stuff, more of the cynic stuff, more of the technicality. Uh, but there's some nice acoustic passages. There's some clean there's, vocals too, yeah. which is. Um, you know, usually I'm hesitant if they're not done well, but these are these are done well and they benefit the song. And the thing, like, I'm not a huge technical death metal fan unless there's still some Music kind of uh, if it's or like if it's overly songwriting, you know? yeah, if it's overly just like dream theaterish and you know full of like way too many riffs. But these songs all have hooks and stuff to them as well, so it doesn't sure. bother me. They're actually really good songwriters. I can get more behind I think technical death metal than I can <clears throat> maybe prog metal. Yeah, if that makes sense. You yeah, because prog metal is almost like anti-prog. Sometimes it's it's like that very opposite. Well, and if you're super, you know, like technical but yet fast and frantic, and you know, I can get behind that sure. as well. But if it's just, this I mean, these noodly, guys are very cutting and thrashing oh, yeah, and yeah. all those sort if of things. If it's super noodly kind of shit that just you know meanders forever, I, that stuff just bores the tits off me. But. Yeah, and sadly, we heard that there's a rumor that the the bass player uh, Jaron Paul Thesslin, who played on Pestilence's Spheres. Uh, he actually played on, I think, the newer Pestilence Did he, as Was well. he on that stuff I as well? I thought so. Uh, but he may have left the band, which is, is kind of sad, because he's, one I think, one of the, the... He's kind of the highlight of the thing for Yeah, me. he's kind of a, a rare element, you know. I mean, the stuff that Moonzer does on guitars is well, I pretty think he's, phenomenal. But. Yeah, he's the you know the main songwriter as well, so I don't think he'll be, really be losing anything, but definitely... It's, he's got a certain touch to the bass that yeah, I, I mean, he, he's like uh, when we we've mentioned like Charlie in the Witchery show yeah. or he, Dee Dee Verney in Overkill. He's like this kind of X factor secret weapon because a lot of bass gets lost in some. Well, of he's that. a guy that can play fretless bass where it doesn't sound like corny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I mean him and Tony Choi and the I guess Tony Choi did an atheist as well. Yeah, so. yeah, 
and uh, you know, I mean, you put him in the same category think, with DiGiorgio yeah. and, and Choi and those guys, you know, um, certainly. But great record, this uh, Omnivium. If you uh, you know, it came out earlier in the year. If you happen to miss it, or if you're sort of skeptical on technical death metal, this is one you, you should sort of check out. And uh, speaking of uh, you know, technical death metal and, and its origins and stuff like that, it was a really nice watershed year for some reissues uh, that we should mention. The oh yeah, what yeah. Relapse did with the, the Relapse. Death stuff. Uh, basically, I think they get a contract with the Schuldiner's estate to where they can reissue, you know, all of the back stuff. I, I think they started with human and you know, individual thought patterns, but yeah. human actually remastered by Jim Morris sounds fucking brilliant. Yeah. Cause <laughs> Giorgio's bass isn't so murky and buried in it. It's, yeah. It really pops out at you. And the whole thing. Cool and it's not, it's not one of those, those hatchet jobs where you're like, okay, here's the new reissue with uh, you know, it's uh, digitally remastered where they just up the volume. Up the level. volume. Yeah. This was, you can tell was actually like thoughtfully went over and, yeah. Um, yeah, there's like great like essays and liner notes and stuff in those as well. I definitely yeah. recommend anybody check those out, yeah. even if you already have the records. They're totally worth re-getting. Sure. And it was also a pretty good year. Uh, you saw the stuff with the Dark Thrones coming out as well as cool reissues, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, Panzerfaust came out with a commentary with uh, Fenris, which if you haven't heard it, is incredibly entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> and he kind of talks over the songs. Yeah, it's like a DVD commentary, but he talks over the songs, like what he was thinking, and you know, like I'm going to stop and get some mouth tobacco. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So it's uh, it's entertaining and informative. That's so. great. That's great. And they've actually done that with Total Death and um, one more record too that I can't think of right now. But yeah, I think slowly they're putting out all the stuff that was on Moonfog. Okay, is being reissued that gotcha. way. So huh, neat. So, uh, you know, so a good year for, for technical death metal. Uh, you know, I didn't hear that origin CD, but that... I've that, heard really good stuff that, about it, but I haven't heard that it. That got some... Actually, no, I did hear it. Now that I think about it, I, I, I liked it. I just didn't listen to it a lot. It was mm-hmm. like one of those things I kind of forgot I had. And um, I think it's hard for me to like bridge the gap with origin because of the days when uh, Relapse was giving us so many origin promos back in like the late 90s. <laughs> they used to be coasters. That we used them as like drink <laughs> coasters. And so I could never really take the band legitimately serious. And that's my own fault. I need to, you know, so yeah. I get over that. But um, some other technical stuff that that came out uh, in a in a kind of different direction, uh, out of a totally strange place, which is not known for its metal scene, uh, Auckland, New Zealand, mm-hmm. was was Ulcerate, and uh, they put out a record called The Destroyers of All, and that was a um, that was a, a beast of a record. I, I remember getting that alongside, I think that Owen Hart record, which was also kind of interesting. Yeah. This was the more interesting of the two for sure. And uh, bleak, apocalyptic. Uh, I know that some people have said like it, this is what Neurosis would sound like if they started a technical death metal band, which is almost like a what? <laughs> like that's a weird you know, comment. Like, you know, it's just a comment that's just going to make you think exactly. Like it's going to boggle your mind a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but there's you know different things sort of happening on it. Willow Tip Records put it out uh, back in January of this year, and um, you know now I guess they've been signed to Relapse, which is a, again a, a nice kudos to, to Relapse for trying to get their shit together when it comes to death metal a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but you know the drumming on it is so intense and the double bass work I mean it's just like almost like non-stop well there's a lot of it I can't I know there's a couple other bands that have the same kind of aesthetic I mean Hate Eternal does it occasionally but where the drums are just blindingly fast well I guess Death Spell Omega as well sure yeah, where the, would, the drums are just super blindingly fast and the guitars are just kind of on they're, their own they're almost, like, they're almost like dissonant in, yeah, in the and background and, and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, they're like counter uh, mm-hmm. to everything and you know the the weird part is the vocals and the drums take such like a, a huge place of this ulcerate stuff 
that a lot of the the guitar and bass work in the background is is sort of like just sort of floating around in that way that kind of weird atmospheric mm-hmm. dissonance thing that like Despel Omega does or even Gorguts to some extent was doing that like on the the their more complex stuff like uh, Obscura you know yeah. and things like yeah. that where like it was all sort of dissonant in the background and and, and challenging you know and so mm-hmm. it took me a few listens to like I, I knew I liked this ulcerate but I didn't really understand it you know and it's something that like I pulled out occasionally throughout the year and uh, you know it held up pretty well so we've got that sort of on the way and then um, speaking of uh, dissonant and uh, yes. atmospheric and things um, Decibels album of the year and, and certainly a record uh, I I enjoyed a lot especially in the last couple months because I think I heard Passive Totality from Tombs at the wrong time. Yeah. Like, I heard it in, like, one of those moods where, like... It's I, not something you just throw on in the car. Yeah. You really need to... And not to, you know, kind of uh, counter what I said with the Opeth thing, but this does take especially a certain situation to like appreciate it more I think yeah it's not a but once you get it I think you get it you don't have to keep like trying to figure oh, yeah. figure it out yeah um, it's not an immediate record but it's uh, it's gratifying once you kind of penetrate it a little bit yeah and what I found what I started doing is running with it with headphones mm-hmm. and then like I was able to like when when I run with music sometimes like I fade in and out of the music but when I fade back in it's like a very heavy concentration because you've and been so, subconsciously like, yeah so like I think I'm subconsciously processing it more than if it's say just playing in the background when I'm grading papers or driving around or whatever because mm-hmm. here it's just it's the only thing that's going into my head you know yeah. there's the music that's sort of going there and so I think that sort of helped me kind of get into it um, you know I know you were into it throughout the year, and, and for well, this is another case where I uh, I was doing a lead review. Oh, for tombs, of yeah. tombs as well. So that's a lot of the time because I, I, it's hard to discover stuff just like for fun. Yeah, I don't have the time to just like go on blogs and look at stuff. I wish I did, or even have. I guess if you know when you're younger, that's that's a huge deal if you got extra time or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I, I didn't really listen to it much until I got the uh, the promo of it, and then it's. At first, I was kind of underwhelmed because it was so abrasive. Mm-hmm. I was expecting more of the, the the winter hours was much more shoegazy stuff. This is much more like dissonant, more black metal blast beats. Sure, um, it's more grim and it's really grim. bleak. It's know? very yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a not in a way that doesn't make me want to listen to it. No, in know? the same way we were talking about ulcerate, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a pretty bleak outlook as well. But it's it's also. I don't know. There's enough like atmospheric things happening on it that like it, it sort of draws you in. Yeah. You know? And I think one of the problems I have uh, with with new music of, of any sort, you know, whether it be Tombs or the next band we're going to talk about, Junius, um, is so often I feel like the the free time I have to listen to music, I'm I'm you know preparing for podcasts with with you, mm-hmm. or I'm preparing for my rock and roll class because I'm always like trying to like prep things and and, and stuff yeah. like that, and so it sometimes gets tricky. I'll like go and search around for some new music and, and poke around and like make some great discoveries like bastard priest, which we'll be talking about later, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just, you know, there, there are definitely those things out there, but it's, uh, it really takes a lot of like effort and, well, that's why yeah. I think these shows are good because it makes us go back and re-examine the year. Yeah, and we go, oh, this came out this year. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And another sort of thing that that sort of popped out in the, in the last couple months was that Junius uh, reports from the Threshold of Death record, which Prosthetic Records put out, and uh, this is coming out of Boston. Uh, you know, Tombs out of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Hill trio, um, and Joseph Martinez is is kind of the the key figure here. He's doing you know guitars, vocals, and, and synth. 
uh, stuff and very much in the Chino Murillo camp. Yeah, you know, to me, I feel like this is if you know if Porcupine Tree, Deftones, and Catatonia like made a record together, this might be what it sounds like. You know, and it's that's it'll my, be better than the Ackerfell Wilson record yeah. that I've heard. Yeah, about but hey, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting record. You know, see, see how each of those guys, Wilson, how and, they can outprop one another, or or how they rein each other in. I think is the more the I, better I've, question. I've heard that it doesn't need to be released. Really, that it's more of it should have just been them having fun together. Gotcha. <laughs> like so. kind of like uh, Steel. <laughs> well, Steel, I enjoyed. Well, I know, but that was like almost like a drunken kind of like. Yeah, if it was put yeah, out that way, that'd thing. be fine. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, you get two guys that get a little bit too pretentious about themselves, and mm-hmm. that's that's true. Yeah. Um, but whatever. But yeah. I would say like you know something like the the Junius, even though it has some of those uh, porcupine tree overtones and things like. It more like vocal hooks and some of the warmth <clears throat> melodies and stuff that Porcupine mm-hmm. Tree was sort of known for in their, I guess, mid-period years, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but, you know, it's it's a metal record. It's definitely shoegaze influence. It's definitely influenced by the Deftones, Catatonia-esque, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call that, alternative metal. Uh, you know, I, I mean, mean whatever whatever those bands are, it, yeah. it has some of that sort of feel to it. And uh, it holds up pretty well. I know a buddy of ours, Mark Coughlin, uh, who owns uh, Saw Her Ghost Records, was posting some stuff about driving uh, up here in the dark uh, up north for mm-hmm. Christmas and just listening to Junius and like almost like fading in and out of like <laughs> meditation and stuff. That's not good. Yeah. But he said it was, like a, it was like a good place. Like he okay. was totally aware, but he was yeah. just sort of like in this cool like cosmic space, you know. But this is a little bit more hopeful than the uh, ulcerating the tunes. It's not nearly as bleak, but it's also dealing with... Well, the tunes was very uh, like cathartic record for, for Mike Hill just with, I guess he went through some emotional yeah, issues some, and then started crazy like... Stuff. Uh, Doing like yoga and some kind of uh, Korean boxing or something. Yeah, but then I think he also mixes it with like psilocybin tea and, and stuff like that, yeah, right? Like, like like organic uh, hallucinogenics. Yeah, and it's, and it's which the result know, whatever, it takes, whatever it takes yeah. to get you get you through, man. That's yeah. that's pretty awesome. And it's certainly I think a record that uh, the tunes and Junius and some of this stuff is stuff that I think as you go back each time there's new discoveries and that's kind of nice. You know? Yeah. Whereas like the stuff uh, nothing against like you know the the autopsies of the world but like you kind of know what you get when you're you know opening up the autopsy box whereas some of these more i guess more difficult bands to penetrate that that have the good payoff at the end continue to sort of like you know this is a record like i pull out and i'm like oh you know i forgot about this song or oh i forgot about like yeah. this part or, or something like that you know and uh and so we've got uh reports uh, oh, I'm sorry, Universe Without Stars, the name of the record's reports from the threshold of death. And then we're going to end uh, the set with Craft, uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, even though we did talk plenty about that record. But On the recent show we did. Yeah, but it's also, Craft uh, fits in with this stuff because it's also sort of bleak, but also kind of, you know, has some atmospherics and, and different kind of uh, influences from the out, outer metal world. So we got Ulcerate, uh, Beneath from Destroyers of All. Uh, we've got Constellations from Path of Totality from Tombs, A Universe Without Stars from Junius's Reports from the Threshold of Death, and Serpent Soul from Void from Craft.
That was Serpent Soul from Craft's Void. We had A Universe Without Stars from Junius, Constellations from Tombs, and Beneath from Ulcerate. And uh, we've uh, what about that that craft record, Mark? We've uh, we've ah void. Yeah. yeah, if you go back a couple episodes, we did an entire retrospective of the uh, Swedish band Craft. Yeah, uh, that made it on a couple lists. Uh, it wasn't. There's so many lists out there right now. And I don't. I don't know. I don't want to put any kind of like judgment on anybody's list because ultimately they don't mean anything. Um, we're just talking about what we like and uh, what we like the most of the year, and if people like our opinions then maybe they'll check stuff out sure yeah um no i think the craft record is uh, fantastic it's probably one of the best black metal things that came out this year Yeah, definitely one of the more interesting black metal things uh that that we heard because i mean you know no one knew what they were going to do after fuck the universe it had been so long since fuck the universe came out and it's it's funny because this almost got scrapped oh yeah yeah well, and you mentioned that like it was uh, you know year endless, and and craft hardly showed up anywhere. And in, in the ones that I looked, I at. saw it like on an NPR list or something. Oh, really? Yeah, See, that's which cool. is written by somebody from one of the metal blogs okay. or something. But yeah, it made it on a couple, but it wasn't. I mean, it never even got a decibel review or anything. It was, it was kind of strange. I mean, it was kind of low profile, really. I didn't see any. I didn't see much, you know, advertising or whatever. But usually, stuff that's out in Southern Lord has a certain pull and a certain audience to it. Although Southern Lord doesn't exactly have the best reputation with with decibel from what i've heard and so sometimes that, and lots that of other magazines as well yeah yeah you know, i remember dealing with i i used to be serviced by southern lord and that was a pain in the ass to to count on anything or you know try and get ad revenue or anything like that yeah. was was ridiculous which i yeah i really don't know how they they stay afloat or they get you know like they just put out that nihilist reissue which is a one of the things that was you know one of the best reissues of the year i think yeah but uh i they must have enough pull to be able well, they've to, got a good distribution too. So yeah, you know, well, more power to them. Yeah, go there. You go. But it's for for those of you that uh, sometimes get skeptical on on black metal, you know, being very samey. Craft uh, Void, it, it's got a lot of nice, you know, Thorns influenced, you know, Satyricon oh, influenced, sure. uh, Dark Throne, uh, but kind of their own sort of Swedish twist on things as well. You know, um, but it also has like some of the influences big, from like Gehenna feel, mm-hmm. not the hard rock Gehenna hard rock or King of the Sidewalk, but yeah. Gehenna like Gehenna with an H, and, yeah, yeah, not with an H. Yeah. But um, we're gonna end part one uh, of our of our year end with uh, a very, I guess, atmospheric, uh, dreamy kind of uh, song from from one of the records that that kind of stuck with me in the last like probably three or four months. Uh, again, one of those records you keep pulling out, and every time you listen to it, you, you, you kind of pull more and more out of it. And um, it's a band I, I had their previous record called "The Great Cessation" um, from Yab, uh, but I, I didn't get into it a lot. I think the songs were long, um, and, and sometimes that can be like a killer for me because of yeah. my my time is so strange that I, I don't have time to sit and like listen to twelve minute songs all the time, you know. <laughs> Uh, I need almost like short bursts. I'm, I, you know, now that I'm a teacher, I've sort of become like part of the ADD gen- generation that I'm teaching. Like I need it yeah. like instantly at me. But you know, when I've had time to sort of sit and nestle with with Atma from from Yab, uh, the more I really dig this record. And uh, we just found out what Yab means. It's uh, street thugs. When you of, spill out uh, of the uh, spill out of the bar at night. Yeah, it's the pubs. Yab. Yeah, it's a Yab culture. Yeah, Yab the, the mob. The Yab mob. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, you know, it was like a slang term, I guess, uh, that meant, you know, boy, but spelled backwards, you know, yeah. like a, kind of like a diss on, on somebody that's like a, 
you know, a man child or something if, like that. If somebody pisses you off, say their name backwards. Yeah, there you go. Ooh, really hit. It's almost like Satan. Yep. But these guys are a three-piece, and um, the the vocals and guitar work of uh, Mike Schmid, I think is how you pronounce that, uh, pretty awesome. And they're from Oregon, which sort of fits with that aesthetic, the sort of northwest. Especially Eugene area. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the... I think that's from kind of where Agalac's from, correct? Is yeah. sort of up in that area. Yeah, it's near Portland. And then uh, Wolves in the Throne Room are kind I think of from that from area. Seattle, aren't they? Are they from Seattle? Or that whatever northern, yeah, okay. Pacific Northwest. You know, so all those bands have like a certain strange Pacific Northwest kind of aesthetic. And actually, people have requested us to do a show on that scene sometime, which would be probably pretty interesting because mm-hmm. it, it is sort of a weird scene that's out there. But they've, they've sort of been consistently releasing these sort of great, like, epic doom records through the years. I don't know where you know if you had ever heard of them through the years here and there. I've heard of them, but I never really gave them much. Um, I listened to them a little bit, you know, a couple years ago, but it just nothing really grabbed me right away. Yeah, something I wasn't in the mood for. And that's the problem with with these guys. But they they seem to have a a huge cult following. I know Coughlin, a friend of ours, Mark Coughlin, was is way into Yob, and and so you know they're on you know profound lore as well. So that's. Yeah, you know, this got a certain cachet with it. Sure, and Profound Lore had a really great year last year, especially yeah. you know, with uh, Dawnbringer and, and uh, the Ludicrous record and a few other Aglock. things. That, uh, was Agalock and Profound Lore? Yeah. Shit, it was. It wasn't. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, they had, yeah. A, they had a good year. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty good year. Um, but, you know, this Yob thing, uh, the song we're going to kind of close out with is, is very atmospheric. It's kind of long. It's epic. It's called Adrift in the Ocean, and it actually features uh, some guest vocals by Scott Kelly from Neurosis. And definitely Neurosis some would of the be best a, uh, vocals around, I think. Yeah. He's one of my favorite screamers. He's, he's cool. And, I mean, he's always making appearances on Mastodon, Mastodon records, records and stuff, and stuff you know. But uh, was, was Scott Kelly on that new Converge, or was it just uh, Steve Von Till? I, I don't feel like they had so many there guest was, people yeah. all over that, but um, it's like a holiday Christmas record, yeah, yeah. Place or something. A little cave in, Tony Bill, Genghis Tron, some other guys. But uh, "Adrift in the Ocean" uh, has a nice build towards it, and um, I really like the some of the weird like ways in which the the vocals are used in the song. It, it mm-hmm. has like kind of a strange hook, hooky kind of feel to it, but. Anyways, so we hope you've enjoyed the first half uh, of, of some of these best of 2010, 2011. Sorry, can't get the year right. Yeah, it's almost uh, 2012. Yeah, I know. And let us know what you thought. Uh, shoot us an email at requimpodcasts at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Mark and Jason. Uh, leave a star rating on iTunes for us. Um, tell, like, tell other people about it. Put it on Facebook. Put it on your blog. Uh, tell your brother. Tell your sister. Tell, tell your, your reverend. Uh, yeah. Anybody that you think might be into it. And if you'd like to be an executive producer yourself, you know, check us out on the, the, the website, recordpodcast.com, where you can click on uh, becoming an executive, executive producer, producer and help us out. And uh, just to show how much that means to us, that just paid for our web hosting there you go. this Thank year you. in our domain name. So that's uh, it's very, very appreciated. Because uh, uh, contrary to what you might believe, we don't make any money. Well, <laughs> doing plus, yeah, this is a losing endeavor because we end up buying crap. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to look at our books, <laughs> they are in the red. Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so enjoy uh, the end of part one. We'll be back real, real quick here with part two. Uh, Yabs Adrift in the Ocean from Atma. I'm Jason. And I'm Art.